Hello, you're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. Hey, Jacques. Hey, Simone. How's it going? Episode four, we're becoming pros at this. Yay! Can you hear a high five? Yay! So, Jacques, have you had enough crawfish yet? You know, I haven't had any crawfish yet. I'm it's the crawfish festival myself. this weekend. I know. I've spent a lot of time at the crawfish festival down in Chalmette when I was uh, a little kid. So uh, hopefully I'll be able to head over there this uh, this weekend. I love the idea of a little Jacques at the crawfish festival. <laughs> well, today um, we're talking about crawfish. We're talking about fisheries. We're talking about lots of cool things today. Yeah, our topic for the show is Louisiana's fisheries. And obviously it's an important reason why we love the coast. Um and, you know, it's a huge economic driver. Louisiana is the number one provider of shrimp, oysters, blue crabs, crawfish, and alligators in the U.S. Wow, what a fact. Is there going to be a test on something <laughs> like that later? There, there could be a test. Another fact, uh, coastal Louisiana provides nearly 30% of commercial landings in the continental United States. So we're going to be talking about our fisheries, our estuaries, why it's important to, you know, advance restoration to protect them over the long term. And 75% of Louisiana's commercial fin and shellfish species depend on wetlands for spawning, nursery habitat, and feeding. Did you know that? I didn't, but I do now. And if you want to learn more <laughs> facts about that, you can go on our website, MississippiRiverDelta.org. Well, I'm really glad that fact was written down right in front of me. <laughs> All right, Jacques, uh, I'm going to take over the first half. We'll see you in the second half, and then we'll come together and we'll talk about our week. Sounds good. Okay, thanks, Jacques. So first up, we are lucky enough to have one of the busiest guys around these days, Captain Ryan Lambert. Uh, Captain Lambert owns Cajun Fishing Adventures, uh, the largest sports fishing and hunting lodge in the South. Uh, If you haven't heard it or seen it online, it is a beautiful, beautiful fishing lodge. He's very, very busy these days. Uh, Captain Lambert, you on the phone with us? I sure am. Hey, you you told me you have 20-something guests with you right now? (laughs) <laughs> we, got, we got 30, but I came back from D.C. last night, and I fell out with something that just is beating me up. Oh, <laughs> so, well, we'll treat you right. I promise to throw you some softballs and some easy questions. It's <laughs> too important not to talk. Well, listen, you're a really popular guy. You've been on the Outdoor Channel, ESPN, Field and Stream, Garden and Gun. You've done some things for our coalition here. You're just the guy to talk about these things. So when we were talking about fisheries, we wanted to make sure that we had you on. So let's start at the beginning. Let's talk about little Ryan Lambert, little growing up in the marshes. Tell us what that was like. Well, that's what we did. We all grew up on the canal every single day. If Mama wanted to find us, she'd just start on one end of the canal and just drive <laughs> to the other end, and there we were. <laughs> but in the swamp as well. And, and uh, you know, I've been guiding almost 40 years now, so... It's, it's been a, a great journey. I've met millions of people, and it's, it's been a great life. I don't know if I could have done anything better to to be more fulfilling and to have people around you and people that, that enjoy being there. I mean, when people tell me that when on their dying bed that the first, last thing they talked about was the bull red they caught this year. Which, I mean, <laughs> I mean that, that's special stuff. Yeah, that that is great. Is this always something you wanted to do? I, I was kidding about little Ryan Lambert. Is this something you always wanted to do is make a living off of, of Louisiana's coast? Well, I, I worked for a chemical plant in Monsanto Chemical for 21 years, and it got to where once I started guiding, I had to work all nights and fish all day, and I just was working myself to death, so... I uh I, I left and, and started by myself and and now we're we're a large operation and it's it's been a very good move. Poor Carmen cried the first week, but she's never cried again. <laughs> <laughs> so so if you don't mind, uh, Ryan, if you want to tell us a little bit, you you haven't had an easy road, um, especially with your uh, Cajun fishing adventures. 
you've hit a couple of bumps along the road. I mean, if it's okay, you want to talk about maybe some of uh, your Katrina experiences or even the oil spill and how those things that happened to us here really impacted you and your business, but, and, and how you rebounded for that. That's, that's what we love about you. You have a great story to tell and it's got a good ending. Yeah. We ought to name Bureau's target, huh? (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? When, when, at, at, at the end of it all, when you think about the oil spill and you think about Hurricane Katrina, those are just sores on the cancer. And the cancer is coastal restoration, coastal erosion. You know, you can talk about everything, the hardships we've been through. And those, you know, 30 years from now, somebody will take a core sample and say, look at that, 2010, they must have had oil spill. <laughs> and look, look at all these slabs around here. Well, I must have had a hell of a hurricane, you know. But that's not what it's about because no one will be there. You know, I, I did something I haven't done in a long time, and I took a, a walk in the swamp behind Luling and behind Hornville, and where we used to sleep in sleeping bags, it's two foot of water now, in the swamp. All the trees are dying. All those big live oaks are underwater. People don't think about the swamp. They think about the marshes. But the whole ecosystem is sinking. It's, in this, it's very disheartening. You know, and, and if you think about it, when, when the redfish come in and they, they spawn offshore, and trillions, trillions of baby larvae are coming into to our marshes. But if there's nowhere to hide, there's no edge grass, there's no aquatic vegetation, one little croaker could eat 100 a day because they're microscopic. Mm-hmm. So let's say you have a million croakers. That's 100 million croakers. I mean, uh, redfish a day are getting eaten. Our fishery has dwindled in the last 30 years by probably 50%. Our trapping industry is completely gone. You know, uh, every, everything's suffering. We, we lost 2,000 square miles of land, but we've lost 10,000 square miles of habitat. So when you say, man, ducks are limited, they must be stopping the ducks. Man, they, they're gone, they're coming, they're gone. Well, they don't have anything to eat. You know, you might have grass in your pond, but the big, giant picture, because those ducks will go from here to Arkansas in one day. No big deal for them. They don't have nothing else to do except fly around <laughs> and eat. And, and not get shot, have, right? Yeah, in the 70s, we had about a quarter of the ducks we have now, and we're wintering 3 million ducks less now than we did in the 70s. That is pretty telling. Yeah, so, so Ryan, you, you grew up in, in, in the Barataria Basin. You work out of, out of Buras and, and work that area. I mean, you, you have seen the changes, but you've been a positive person, and you've been an active spokesperson for coastal restoration. So, you know, after Katrina and oil spill and after seeing what you see when you walk in the marsh and when you work it every day, how do you stay so positive about it? Well, because I know it can be fixed. Because I'm I'm a, a lot different than most folks because I have diversions in my area. We'll flow 400,000 cubic feet per second from all Stricker Locks all the way to uh, Baptiste Collette. So we're flowing 400,000. We I, I've grown up in these diversions. I've seen how they grow land. I see what they do for the fishery. I see what they do for the ducks. So I know it can be fixed. So so I really I know that it can happen. But, you know, the reason I was in D.C. this week is when the court told us that we can get a permit in October 31st of 2022. That is unacceptable. I agree. Unacceptable. Because if you think about it, everybody's flood insurance is going up 20% a year until you get to 100% increase. When you build a new house in South Louisiana now, you have to put forty, fifty $50,000 worth of dirt on your lot or put it on pylons. That's all due to coastal erosion. You know, it's uh, it's killing the fishery, it's killing the people, and if we wait 
as long as they want, we will lose another 80 square miles of habitat. New Orleans can't survive if we lose 80, 80 square miles more. Can't survive. Next hurricane is going to be catastrophic. Yeah, I mean, so Ryan, I mean, you you are active. You do go to D.C. You were part of, well, a couple of shows ago, we talked about Louisiana's Coastal Master Plan. You were part of the framework development team. You're actively engaged. How how do you help tell this story to people just like you, other guides, other captains, other guys who make their living off of this industry? How how do you tell them and how do you get them to be so active um, and, and be a spokesperson for coastal restoration as well? Well, the best way that I've found, especially the naysayers that says there's not enough sediment in the river, there's, you know, it's uh, all polluted and it's going to make a hypoxia. The best thing to do is get them in my boat, <laughs> don't say a word, and take them and show them. Mm-hmm. I've been with you a couple of times. You tell have, a great story. <laughs> and every concern they have, I take them to an example of that concern, and I let them judge for themselves if they're right or wrong. And I've done it to some big time naysayers, and at the end of the day, like, oh my gosh, how are you the only one that knows this? I said, <laughs> hanging around with the wrong folks. That's all. <laughs> In the you right know, place, though. <laughs> you, can't, you can't use propaganda to take one sentence out of a report and act like that's fact. You know, it's it's you you have to go out there and live it and learn it. And uh, I just got a million-dollar NACA grant in conjunction with Ducks Unlimited to build another terrace. We're going to build about 3,500 acres. Nice. And, uh, yeah, so as soon as I get those permits, you know, <laughs> you, know you, you, you go lobby for this money, and you work so hard to get it, and then you have to wait months yeah. and years right. for a permit. They can no longer accept this. Well, let's talk about, we're going to take a little break, if you don't mind hanging on with us just a second. Um, But we do like to end on a fun note. Favorite season, um, duck, uh, deer, crawfish, or snowball? (laughs) (laughs) What's your favorite season? Ducks, no doubt about it. Uh, All right. About 80 days a year. (laughs) All right, Captain Lambert, we'll be back with you after the break. Hi, I'm Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress. That has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help. National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana, to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org slash Louisiana. You can support wildlife conservation at lunch on Saturday, March 25th. Eat lunch at Dat Dog on Ferret Street, and the profits will go to Louisiana Wildlife Federation. Learn more about wildlife in your neighborhood and meet cute, adoptable dogs from Zeus's Place. That's Saturday, March 25th, 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. at Dat Dog on Ferret. See you there for lunch and learn more about how you can protect wildlife in your neighborhood. Learn more about Louisiana Wildlife Federation at www.lawildlifefed.org.
Hey, we're back. Um, you're on Delta. Oh, you're on. I guess I'm on Delta Dispatch as you're listening to it, where we discuss Louisiana's coast, people, wildlife, and jobs, and res- why restoring it matters. I am fortunate enough to have Captain Ryan Lambert with me on the phone, and he pretty much just defines why people, wildlife, and jobs <laughs> for Louisiana's coast and why it matters. So um, let's talk about that NACA grant a little bit. Um, tell us how you even went about it, what it's about, and and we can talk about the process a little bit more, too. Of, of, of what? Of the NACA grant that you uh, were just NACA? mentioning before we left. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, you, you can uh, get a project, and you, you turn your project in. It's Congress, then, right? That's a congressional yeah, act. Without a doubt. And then, yeah. you know, they, they'll grade it, and uh, a bunch of different entities in Congress look at it. And mine scored 65, which is real high. Nice. And then they'll, they'll award the grant. I'll get it. Uh, I'll probably get the money sometime this summer. And I uh, got it engineered and ready to go. I just need the, the permits. And as soon as we do that, I'll bid the job out. Everybody says, well, how can you do that? I said, Everybody else can do it. A company <laughs> can do it. Why can't an individual? You just have to take the bull by the horn sometime and get something done. We can't wait any longer. I mean, we are washing away. Yeah, NACA's been a um, NACA's been a good source for one of the many different funding revenues for Louisiana. It's been a good, steady source for us. Ducks has done a really, really great job tapping into that. Um, and so I'm, I'm glad to hear that, that you've also made good use of that. You're right. I mean, uh, some, I heard somebody once say that we had 41 different funding sources here in Louisiana, and sometimes they're not always huge, but sometimes it's the slow and steady that wins the race, right? And you were able to take an opportunity to, like you said, grab that bull by the horns and, and get some work done. Um, I want to talk to a little bit about your lodge and the work you do. I know that you have been a gracious host to us many, many times when we really wanted to tell the story, especially the the freshwater story and diversions and why they're important, you know, about taking congressional staff out. So why don't why don't we talk about a little bit about what a typical day might be when we do host one of those kind of um, staff fly-ins and, you know, where do you take people, what do they see, and what do you really try to leave them with? You know, when when they fly in, if you take them on the west side, we lost 6.3 miles of land. 100% land is gone. So I could take them over there, and I could show them the pylons where camps used to be. And actually, people lived there. It wasn't camps back then. And they would go out the back door, and they would run the traps. They'd paddle across the bayou right there, and they'd have fish fries together, shrimp balls. It's gone. There's not a speck of land. All they have is abandoned pylons. And if you know where to go, you can drive right through them, and you mm-hmm. can see the bayou still. And it's so disheartening to see this. And, when, when, you know, I've seen raccoons hanging on to PVC pipes in the middle of a bay without without any water in a mile. I mean, no land in a mile away. So, you know, it's it's very disheartening to see what's happened to, to Louisiana, and it's ongoing. I mean, a football field every hour or less, that's pretty substantial. So far, we've lost more land than the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon is 1,906 square miles. We've lost over 2,000 and losing another 16 square miles every year. Wow, that's a great way to think about it. Yeah, I like to do it like that instead of saying a football field. (laughs) You think of a football field, when you start thinking about the Grand Canyon, now you're thinking about something. Right, you're right, you're right. You know, I I, I don't talk too much about my lodge and all that stuff. We know we sleep 35 people. We do breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's beautiful, though. It's a beautiful lodge. 18 boats and, you know, seven duck guys. So we, all winter we duck hunt in the morning, fish in the evening. It's a uh, top you feed five them good. in North America. So it's 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 an entertainment business and it's been very well to us. But as you know, where my passion is. 
I do. Now that I'm older, you know. Yeah. So, so again, you take you take some of these congressional staff out. You know what? Like I said, if you have to leave them, you know, when these guys leave you, they're with you for maybe 24 hours or something. These people that you know help influence decisions in Congress and and what what do you want them to to walk away and and leave you with or leave Louisiana with? On the diversion side, show them how they work. Put to bed every fear they have, uh, hypoxia, uh, sediment, uh, dirty water, um, toxins, uh, hypoxia, and wh- wh- how, you, how it fixes it. Everything that they have a problem with, I take them and show them how to fix it or what Mother Nature does. I mean, you know, why, why do you need environmental um, researchers to come and tell us, well, I don't know if you can put the river back. Why? Mother Nature had it wrong in the first place. Is that what John said? You're smarter than Mother Nature? <laughs> so, you know, one thing that's so important that I want, I want to leave all the listeners to, you hear people say, you need to call your senator. You need to call your congressman. Let me tell people how that works so they don't have – they're not intimidated. You get that number and you call and you talk to a young man or young woman at the front desk, and they type in what you say, and they'll give you the senator or congressman's take on it, what he believes, and then you tell him yours, and then they will type that into the computer. It's all about numbers. Everyone in South Louisiana has to call in and tell them to get the core moving. We don't have – if look, we have a 50-year master plan. If we have to wait six years for every permit, we just soon have a 500-year master plan. You know, I say it yep. because I'll be 60 this year, and I am just working so hard to get something done before I go. Yeah, and it cer- drives me crazy. So certainly the news last week that it, that could take five years to get a permit out of the court, you know, we are believers that that's entirely too long. We have too much to lose. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough resources. And and you're right. I mean, we have to we have to um, the chairman of the CPRA had a had a really great quote at at the CPRA meeting, which was here in New Orleans last week. He said, you know, the train's coming down the track and we'll be blowing the horn. And so he does need to hear from people that this is too important and it's not acceptable. Uh, We gave him $1.5 million to expedite it, and the president put it on the dashboard to make sure it stays in everybody's vision, and it's still going to take almost six years? Uh Uh-uh. Ain't happen. So, Ryan, when you're in D.C., I mean, you you have federal delegation members. We have congressmen that are really working with us. Can you talk a little bit about your any experiences with our own delegation on this particular issue? Yeah, our delegation is leading the way, and, and Congressman Graves, everybody looks to him because he's such an expert at it, and, and he's the one that has enough knowledge on coastal restoration that when he gets in front of the Corps, he just rips them up. And he's the one that all our, our leadership is looking to. But I saw every one of our congressional leaders, every one of our senators, then I, I met with Ducks Unlimited at their corporate office. I had uh, talked to a few lobbyists. I made every second of my day count when I was there. I talked to everybody that would listen to me, and I think we did a, a lot of good. And good. that's what makes it. You know, you got to go, and you got to let them hear you. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it is it is a grind, right? But you do have to go see all of them. You have to make it known. And, you know, when we have, um, you know, we're, we're nonprofit organizations, and we work on this issue every day. But when we get other voices and voices like your own that are out there every day working, it's really important, and, and it's really different. So, 
Um, so we're uh, going to wrap up really soon here, uh, Ryan, but we wanted to make sure that we said a little bit word, a little bit of something about the master plan. Uh, the master plan comments are due this um, Sunday. You want to leave with any good things to say about the master plan? <laughs> you were on the framework de- development team with me. You were part yeah. of the grind for a while. Well, again, it's a great comprehensive plan to do things, but they all work in concert with one another. So the the centerpiece is mid-barrier diversion. Yeah. So so until we get that, we can't have anything going to it. The reason I'm doing my project is to show how to put tariffs in and how to slow the land down and build land more, more expedient. And hopefully they'll take that that's this model that I'm doing and use it when we do mid-bar tariffs. So you only have one chance to do it right the first time, and we need to make sure that happens. Perfect. Thank you so much for being our guest, Captain Ryan Lambert with Cajun Fishing Adventures. I've asked you many times, and you've always, always offered, I am going to come fishing with you. <laughs> Don't threaten me. All right. Thanks so much, Ryan. <laughs> You're very welcome, Simon. Bye-bye. And we're back. This is Jacques Hebert, and today I'm speaking to Dr. John Lopez with the Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation. John has been the director of LPBF's Coastal Sustainability Program, which conducts coastal restoration and research since 2005. He worked for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and project management for the Coastal Restoration Branch, including assignments with the Coastal Wetlands Planning Protection and Restoration Act and the Louisiana Coastal Area Ecosystem Restoration Study. In 2005, he developed and advocated the Multiple Lines of Defense Strategy for Coastal Louisiana, which has gained broad acceptance throughout the state. As director, he coordinates LPBF activities with numerous local and national NGOs and universities. And from 2009 to present, he has served on the state's framework development team to advise on the state's new master plan for 2012. Uh, He's currently a member of the Coastal Advisory Committee for the South Louisiana Flood Protection Authority East and the Carnarvon Interagency Advisory Committee. Welcome to the show, John. Uh, thanks, Jacques. Uh, glad to be on. It's great to have you here. And I know we're talking about fisheries today. So um, before you, you came on, we were talking that LPBF just did um, a ghost uh, trap or, uh, rodeo show down in uh, Delacroix. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we did. the. There was a closure of the traps or the crab fishing for a month, uh, trying to reduce the harvest. And, and uh, wildlife and fisheries allowed folks to kind of take advantage of that closure to retrieve some of the abandoned traps. We've all seen them out, out on the waterways, out on the lake, uh, you know, see the crab trap floats. And uh, sometimes those, those traps are lost and, and therefore abandoned and they stay on the bottom and they keep killing crabs and fish. So we, we were very lucky with weather and we, we picked up uh, with uh, all our volunteers and everything about 4,000 traps wow. around Delacroix. Wow, yeah, that's great. And I mean, I know um, for folks that may not be familiar, the Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation has done a lot of work. Um, to to actually save the lake and help bring back the water quality, you're you've got a uh, you know an amazing lighthouse that's open for public touring on the lakefront, and you're helping to bring back Pontchartrain Beach. Is that correct? So why don't you give us a little bit of overview of LPBF and the work you all do? Yeah, uh, we've been around since 1989. A lot of people know us as the the Save Our Lake group. Uh, that that's uh, kind of been our, our logo for a long time. But but in the last decade, we've also added Save Our Coast. Uh, so we. From the beginning, our entire mission was, was about uh, protecting, restoring the environments of the Pontchartrain Basin, and that actually includes uh, not just the lake, but but everything east of the Mississippi River. So it goes all the way down to the Delta, includes uh, Plaquemines and St. Bernard and all of the North Shore. Uh, so we, we've, we've 
had a lot of success cleaning up uh, the Lake Pontchartrain with, with a lot of support from the community. Uh, and uh, in 2012, we finished completing the reconstruction of the new Canal Lighthouse, which is a museum and an education center. It's open to the public six uh, days of the week, so uh, please come on, on out and see us. Uh, but uh, with all that said, we've put a lot of focus in the last few years on our coast, and I think that's kind of what we're, one of the things we want to try and talk about today. But we all know our co coast is suffering, and, and we're putting a lot of effort working with a lot of uh, folks, uh, uh, the state and, and, the, and the feds, to try and uh, repair our coast. And we're, we're glad that you're here today because you certainly are an expert and you've been working on this for quite a while. So I have to ask, since you are the brainchild behind the incredibly powerful multiple lines of de defense strategy, um, we touched on this a little bit in a previous show, but you're here and we want to hear straight from the source. So can you give folks an overview of what is the multiple lines of defense strategy? Yeah, uh, frankly, when I was working at the Corps, uh, it was kind of a, a strange uh, in one respect that, you know, you go down the hall and you had people working on levees. You go down the other end of the hall and you had people doing coastal restoration. And and it just occurred to me that, that you know, this is our situation is getting so dire here with our vulnerability from storms that uh, it made sense to look at them together. So that was kind of the foundational thing. And so rather than when we think flood protection, thinking strictly about levees, we basically use the whole kitchen sink. I mean, everything in the kitchen sink. I mean, we, we, we use our natural coast, our barrier islands, the natural ridges, the marsh land bridges, along with levees and flood walls. Uh, but even inside the levees, uh, you know, you're not totally protected. And, and so we recommend elevated housing both inside and outside of levees. Uh, and, and finally, the, the thing that protects people is evacuation. So that's, that's one of the multiple lines of defense. Yeah, and I mean, um, we talk a lot about that, you know, the need for a lot of lines of defense so that the levees aren't, you know, our one and only last line of defense of protection. Yeah, w one way we, we like to put it sometimes is, is we need our levees to protect our concentrated assets or like our cities, but we need our wetlands to protect our levees. And, you know, in some cases, home elevation and evacuation. And, you know, you yourself, you know, you live in an area that's somewhat vulnerable from storms uh, in Slidell and Prior to Katrina, I believe you said you had your home was elevated and then you elevated it even further after Katrina. So can you talk a little bit, you know, for folks who might be going through that or have gone through that, what, what that experience was like for you? Yeah, uh, I mean, my wife and I, we live on the North Shore and like a lot of folks who were impacted by Katrina. And actually, I just happened to be reflecting on it the other day in our old house. There was these beautiful uh, redwood ceilings, tongue and groove redwood ceilings uh, throughout the whole house. And it was really a nice part of the house. And after Katrina, we did not have even a single splinter wow. of that redwood. Uh, the whole house was gone, and that, of course, that happened to a lot of folks. We thought hard about whether we wanted to move back where we were, and uh, you know, thought about other locations. And, and at the end, we, we said this is where we thought we really want to be. And so we're not exactly the same location. It's it's about ten feet higher. It's the same wow. same place on the earth, but about ten feet higher. We're now about uh, plus twenty. Yeah, and I mean, we are going to kind of dive into that in a future episode, just non-structural and home elevation. And, and that's that those topics which are hugely important to the coastal challenges we face in the future. But getting to the topic at hand today, what, what Simone was talking to Captain Lambert about fisheries. I mean, you, John, have spent a lot of time out in coastal wetlands and marshes. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've seen as it relates to the state of our estuaries? Are they healthy? Uh, for the most part, no. I mean, there are some, some good areas uh, and, and for various reasons, but, but you know, uh, basically our, our coast is shrinking and sinking. Uh, and uh, with that, it's increasing our vulnerability. It makes it easier for the storm surge to come in. So 
our, our risk has, has gone up. Uh, even though the levees have been rebuilt, our coast continues to decline. Uh, there are some areas where the coast is relatively healthy, but that's, that's kind of rare. And generally, it's areas where the river is still flowing and, and replenishing the marsh. And so, I mean, we talked about the different causes of land loss, but in terms of the estuaries, you know, um, and fisheries, I mean, what has caused that kind of imbalance? Well, um, there, there's really a multitude of things, but a lot of, a lot of those things folks are, I think, fairly familiar with. Uh, you know, there was, for the most part, it was, it was people that caused it. Uh, there are, you know, there's a certain amount of natural loss that can, that can occur, but but that has been dramatically accelerated uh, by things like oil and gas canals. Uh, the extraction of fluids causes subsidence, whether it's groundwater or oil and gas. Uh, you know, there were impoundments, uh, levees, although we need levees uh, to protect our cities, as I said, uh, levees in the wrong place can actually cause a lot of damage. Yeah, and I mean, we, we highlighted some key stats at the top of the show, but you know, commercial fishing industry produces 35% of all seafood in the nation, right, here in Louisiana. So our fisheries are important. And thinking about the future, I mean, if we continue on the path that we're on, um, you know, is there, what does the future look like for our fisheries without kind of some of this large-scale restoration and um, just restoration across the coast? Well, uh, there's one uh, uh, aspect of the coast that is a little uh, bit of a paradox, but uh, you know, of course, the fish and crabs, they eat food, and, and, uh, and that food is in the form, a lot of times, of vegetation. Uh, when our marsh falls apart, it actually creates extra food for a while. And, and so a lot of the biologists think that we're kind of in that phase, actually. Our fisheries hasn't totally declined, in part because our marsh is falling apart. But, but virtually all the scientists feel like there's a tipping point, you know, that at a certain point, We've lost so much, there's not even enough dead vegetation to keep things going. And, of course, the vegetation is the bottom of the food chain, and uh, when you lose that, things just cascade down from there. And so what would that, I mean, look like in, a, in essence? I mean, would you see a decline in a lot of these key species that we depend on, both for consumption, I mean, we all love our seafood, but also as, you know, an industry? Well, uh, this this is, uh, I won't say we, this is a, a proven scientific uh uh, situation, but but there is some evidence for this, which to me maybe illustrates uh, uh, an answer to a response to your question. Uh, a lot of people are familiar with that that uh, pelicans have uh, almost lost in Louisiana uh, due to DDT years ago. They were reintroduced. They were actually brought in from Florida. They were managed, protected, and the pelicans have populations have been growing. Um, but at the same time, the pelican population has been growing. Our marsh has been declining. In the last year, uh, some biologists have reported they're actually seeing mortality of, of pelicans, that they think that there is a, maybe the populations have reached a, a carrying potential for pelicans. So here you have a situation where one is increasing and in, in, in the, the, the ecosystem is declining, and now you've reached that juxtaposition uh, of where you've reached that carrying capacity. So that that's kind of illustrative that basically, uh, you know, any organism, there, there's a certain carry capacity of the system, and they could be fish, crabs, uh, but basically you would see it in population declines eventually. And that's a good point, too, that, I mean, it's not just fisheries and fish. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, alligators, it's, uh, it's, it's wild waterfowl. waterfowl that all depend on our freshwater habitats. Yeah. So in terms of, I mean, you know, obviously we all want to avoid that worst-case scenario and that, that future. So how can restoration help return a, health, a healthy balance to our estuaries? 
Well, I think that's that's a good way to describe it, a healthy balance, because to me what that suggests is uh, we're not trying to rebuild at all. I think uh, pretty much all the scientists agree that that's too ambitious. Uh, we can't recover everything we had, uh, but we hope that we can restore enough and that maintains enough of a footprint to protect our coasts, protect our cities, and have a functional estuary. Uh, but as we look at those environmental conditions, that, that, that's getting more daunting and that, that footprint gets smaller. Uh, but to a large degree, that, that also means uh, reconnecting the river. And, and that, that um, not just builds wetlands, but it restores that functionality. Okay, great. And, you know, we are going to talk about a little bit more about this after the break, both about kind of the master plan and what some of these projects could potentially do. We're also going to talk about an amazing resource that, um, you know, Dr. John Lopez and the Lake Pontchartrain Basin have developed that will, has provided a lot of information and, and uh, uh, has served as a tool for fishermen. So we'll get to that right after the break. We're here on Delta Dispatches with Dr. John Lopez. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches, and I'm here with Dr. John Lopez, Director of Coastal Sustainability at the Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation. So before the break, we were talking a little bit about, you know, fisheries, changes in fisheries, and then what, um, you know, particular restoration projects, how can avoid that worst case scenario of the future. Um, and thinking about the current master plan, the draft master plan that's out, it's open for public comment until Sunday. Um, can you talk a little bit, John, about, you know, what the master plan says about changes in salinities and how that might impact different species over time? Sure. Uh, thanks, Jacques. Uh, you know, the, uh, being a member and, and folks, many folks have seen the prior master plans, uh, like in 2012, uh, but this 2017 master plan is, is, is different from the prior plans in that, you know, when they project the land loss now, it's, it's more catastrophic. It's kind of landscape scale changing. And that affects salinity. Basically, as the coast breaks apart, it makes it easier for the Gulf uh, salinity to move in. And under the scenarios they're looking at, uh, you know, in, in 50 years without restoration, uh, essentially the Gulf of Mexico is, is you know, all within the interior bay. So this actually, we would we would have very high salinities, uh, uh, even too high for oysters and many other species. And, and essentially, we'd be the Gulf of Mexico in our coast. Uh, but that's without action. Uh, uh, with action, uh, you know, restoration, the marsh creation helps reduce that salinity intrusion. Uh, but uh, the freshwater diversions also help mitigate that. Uh, so really, uh, it's kind of the reverse of, frankly, some of the thinking, you know, uh, that people are thinking the system's going to get super fresh, but but actually, long term, the coast breaks apart so badly that that really fighting a huge amount of salt water that would come in. And speaking about those changes in salinities and fluctuations, the Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation and yourself have developed a really powerful tool that can help monitor and track um, changes in salinities across our basins. And a lot of fishermen have actually used it as a resource. It's uh, it's called HydroCoast. So can you tell us a little bit about that tool and uh, how is it developed and what sure. it does? Yeah, actually, the, the initial inspiration for HydroCoast was actually, uh, if anyone uses the Weather Channel, the Wonder Map. If you remember, the Wonder Map was an ice map that kind of portrayed all kinds of weather conditions, uh, uh, radar and, and rainfall, lightning even. Uh, so we said, well, can we do the same thing for the coast? And so we developed a series of maps that portrays the conditions of the coast, basically of the water. And uh, one of those main things is the salinity. So every two weeks we, we, we put out these maps. So there's kind of an ongoing uh, 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 
snapshot of the basin for a whole array of things, salinity, uh, water quality. Uh, we even monitor fishing activity. We, we fly reconnaissance and, and, and map where the oyster boats are at, where the shrimp boats are at. Uh, so it's, it's, it's actually five different maps that come out every two weeks. Uh, of course, they're on our website. Uh, we send out notices. Uh, if you want to get them individually, all you got to do is send us an email. We'll get you on the list. But not on our website, you'll find not just the, the most current, but all the archive, which now we have going on four years of data. Uh, so the fishermen, they, 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 they know salinity affects things, and so the oyster fishermen watch it, the, the shrimp fishermen can watch it. Uh, sometimes they, they actually will try to measure it themselves. In some cases, they don't need to do that because they can just go to our maps. So we think it basically informs uh, the recreational, commercial fishermen, but also scientists. Uh, we've had a lot of uh, a very uh, positive uh, interest by, by the scientists because they get to see the snapshot, but also over time, all those snapshots end up creating a cumulative shifting baseline of conditions. So you can start to see the, the trajectory of the basin over the short term. Yeah, and, and for those who are interested, you can go on to their website, saveourlake.org, to access the maps and kind of see them as they're updated. Um, so in terms of, you know, you launched the program in 2012, and you were just mentioning changes over time. Have you seen any tra- trends since you launched uh, HydroCoast? Yeah, um, but be, let me put a little uh, context on that. We, we started the HydroCoast, as Jock said, in 2012. But in this area, a lot of folks realized that in 2009, the MRGO was closed with two structures. And we didn't, weren't doing HydroCoast, but we were monitoring salinity and a lot of other folks. And in 2009, with the MRGO closures, salinities came down uh, pretty significantly, especially near the MRGO. Uh, but since 2012, you know, we're seeing that lower salinity, but over the, the years from 12 to 13, 14, 15, salinities have been coming up uh, slightly. Not as low as they were, of course, when the MRGO was open, but the, 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 the short-term trend is actually a slight increase in salinity um, that, uh, you know, probably reflects, you know, rainfall and, and other kind of variable uh, uh, freshwater inflows into the basin. And so you said you're, you're currently monitoring within the Barataria and Pontchartrain basins. Do you have plans to expand it in, in the future across the coast? Well, it'd be great to do that. Uh, at this point, I don't think we're going to be able to uh, expand the, the areas that we're doing it. But but what we'd like to do is in Barataria right now, we're, we're only, only producing the maps every two months. And, and on Pontchartrain, we do it every two weeks. Uh, when you do it every two weeks... It allows you to do more analysis. For instance, uh, with the pond strain data, we were able to analyze the suitability over those years for oysters by looking at the salinity. And uh, so it was, it was very interesting. We got a lot, a lot of positive response for that. And it also matched where it looked like the oyster fishermen were going because, as I said, we monitor the oyster boats. So it, was, it kind of con- confirmed what we thought. We also used the, uh, the cumulative hydrocose to... Uh, to evaluate the uh, suitability for cypress restoration. And we were surprised to see that uh, there's uh, about 120 square miles now that are suitable for cypress restoration. And a lot of that area helps pr- provide flood protection. So we're actually very excited about that. But on the, on the Barataria side, if we can go to a more frequent, maybe once a month, it'll allow us to do some more robust analysis like that for oysters or cypress. That's great. And I know the Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation has done a lot of cypress planting in the Braithwaite area, Lake Moripaw area, um, and there's a lot of volunteer opportunities. So you can learn about 
um, both Hydrocoast and, you know, get involved in helping to plant in our marshes on SaveOurLake.org. So thank you so much, um, John, for being on the show. We really appreciate it. And hopefully we can have you back um, soon. Okay. Thank you, John. And I'm back. Hey, Simone. So as a reminder to everyone, there are only three days left before the public comment period for the draft Coastal Master Plan closes. So go online to coastal.la.gov to submit your comments by this Sunday, March 26th. Um, and Simone, I don't know, am I going to see you in Chalmette at the Crawfish Festival? <laughs> um, I, unlike you, um, I didn't grow up as a little child running around. I grew up uh, in Homa uh, as a terrio, as we mentioned, the terrio and a neighbor going into the station together. But I did have a bayou in my front yard. I had a, I had a real legit bayou in the front yard. We used to kick over the crawfish mounds. Uh, but just to go back, you mentioned the Coastal Master Plan comments close out March 26th. There's some very easy ways for you to comment. There's um, easy access to the information online on the uh, Coastal, uh, on the CPRA's uh, website, coastal.la.gov. They actually, you can submit your comments directly online. Uh, the executive summary, uh, the short version of the plan is available in four different languages, uh, thanks to some help from the Greater New Orleans Foundation, uh, Vietnamese, Spanish, French, and English. I think y'all also have a way online too, right, that you can comment. That's correct. We have a form that's, you know, pretty much ready to go uh, on our website, mississippiriverdelta.org slash take action. And folks can go online, add their names and personal information. that will go directly to CPRA. Um, so next week, you're going to be out I'm of town. I'm going to be in D.C. Yeah, Ryan talked about hitting the pavement in D.C. I'll be there. So you're all by yourself. I'm flying solo, but we're going to be talking about culture and why it's important to restore the coast to protect our culture, which is a topic that's near and dear to my heart as I know it is to yours. So hope everyone has a great week. Don't forget to go to Dad Talk. Dad Talk this weekend. Uh, to support Louisiana Wildlife Louisiana Federation. Louisiana Wildlife Federation. Too. Have some good hot dogs. All right. Don't have too much fun without me. All right. Bye, Simone. Bye, Jacques.